Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. And here's why you should tune in to today's show. Circle won't go public anytime soon. We'll discuss why USDC issuer had to abandon its SPAC plan. Plus, the importance of safe, crypto custody we cannot drum that in people's ear anymore every day we'll be joined live by diogo monica co-founder of anchorage to discuss i'm elaine lee your friendly crypto host and producer gmgm GM, ash bennington is with me how are you doing my darling oh elaine lee i'm great uh, great to be here with you of course. Now, by the way, don't forget to subscribe to Real Vision Crypto. It's absolutely free. If you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe and hit the notification bell so you don't miss it when we go live Monday to Friday every day. Now, let's jump straight into the price action. Okay, taking a look at Bitcoin remains stable at around $17,000. We've been range bound for the past week. Bitcoin did hit a monthly high of nearly 17400 yesterday before scaling a little bit back. Coindesk is reporting interesting data from mining pool Bitcoin, uh, BTC.com, I should say. It shows the difficulty of mining a Bitcoin block fell by more than 7.3% today. That's the biggest drop since July 2021. So miners with the machines have been powering them off as their profits dwindle. When that happens, the difficulty of mining Bitcoin drops. Ash, what's going on with our friend Ethereum? Ether is range bound as well, Elaine. Ether has been bouncing around between $1,250 and $1,300 for the past week, uh, which obviously is a quite narrow range. Ether is down slightly right now on a 24-hour basis. One more thing I'd like to point out, some exclusive reporting from Reuters. It says that Goldman Sachs is planning to spend tens of millions of dollars on investments in crypto companies. Clearly, they're seeing opportunities in that market, Elaine. All right, Ash, I uh, want to go straight into our top story for today. And one of our community members has already been sharing it on your Twitter timeline. So Circle, the issuer of the USDC stablecoin, is no longer planning to go public via a SPAC. It's tis not the season, I should say. The company has announced it will uh, it terminate its deal with Concord um, Acquisition Group. First of all, Ash, let's maybe explain what SPAC is. Yeah, so SPAC stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Company. It's a publicly traded company whose sole purpose is to merge with another company. Uh, it's an alternate way for private companies to become publicly listed on a stock exchange. SPACs do not require quite as much scrutiny as a traditional IPO structure would. Uh, Concord, in this case, is led by Bob Diamond, a veteran banker and former CEO of Barclays, the British bank. Uh, Circle signed a deal with Concord in July last year, which was then later amended in February. They've now mutually terminated that agreement, Elaine. Okay, well, obviously the next question is why the termination of the deal? Yeah, basically they ran out of time. According to Circle's press release, they had until the end of this week to finalize the deal and merge. It's not exactly clear why that didn't happen uh, precisely in terms of what the sequence of events were. Circle CEO Jeremy Allaire said on Twitter, the plan remains to eventually take Circle 
Republic. The original deal from July 2021 was valued at $4.5 billion. Then that was doubled in February of 2022 to as much as $9 billion. Obviously, back then, we were off the highs still uh, in a relatively strong market, though. We have a different situation right now. Look, Elaine, here's the deal. Uh, crypto got shook by the FTX collapse. The S&P 500 is down 17.5% year-to-date. PCE, that's the Fed's uh, preferred method of measuring inflation, is currently running at about 6% headline. Core PCE running at 5%. Look. You know, SPACs rely on low interest rates and a bullish perception of future valuations of equities. We clearly don't have either of those things. Uh, this is just one of those situations where the events on the ground moved beyond uh, the goal of the deal. Essentially, you had the macroeconomic environment, the growth environment, the valuations environment, uh, as well as headwinds specific to the crypto space derailing this deal. At least that's what it looks like here from the outside, Elaine. Oh, Ash, just get the iron out and iron out the macro backdrop for me already before we head into 2023. Ah, and that's an open uh, invitation, obviously. Hopefully the Circle CEO will be with us uh, sometime soon on Real Vision. All right, um, let's bring in our next guest. So Diogo Monica is a co-founder and president of Anchorage Digital, a crypto custodian, the first crypto native institution to receive a federal banking charter. Welcome to the show, Diogo. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Ash, over to you. Diogo, great to have you back. We know you've been on with us many times before. Uh, obviously, lots to talk about. Talking about custody here today, obviously, with you. Uh, you know, many crypto owners in this most recent cycle learned about the risks of holding assets on exchange in the wake of the FTX meltdown. Lots to talk about here in general. I guess I'd like to just start off with the big picture. How do you see what's happening in the space right now? We were talking a little bit offline about regulation. Uh, how do you see the big picture right now? Yeah, so what happened with, with FTX is obviously horrible for us and to a very large extent is a massive unforced error of the industry. So you can think of it as us actually shooting ourselves in the foot. That, uh, that very much is the case of what's happening right now. And so one of the things that is happening due to it is there's a lot more scrutiny on the companies that are operating in crypto, and there's a lot more scrutiny on um, the actual counterparties of crypto companies. So if uh, you, like Anchorage, are a federally chartered bank, you actually end up benefiting from um, lots of the um, clients looking for safety. So this flight to safety that is happening. Unfortunately, what ends up happening too is for institutions like us, we end up winning a larger portion of a smaller pie and that very much is not the intent. The intent is to win the biggest uh, portion of the biggest possible pie. And in crypto right now, the, the pie is definitely dwindling. We can see that in terms of market cap. We can definitely see that in terms of prices. So lots of stuff that is happening that actually points towards higher scrutiny, not just from regulators on what these cryptos, crypto companies are doing, but also from clients. Are these bankruptcy remote entities? Where is the custody of the assets? Are these on the balance sheet? Um, insurance, all of these conversations were conversations that weren't really had, at least to their full extent last year, really just 12 months ago. And now it's the first question out of clients' mouths is bankruptcy remote. Right. Let's talk a little bit about Anchorage Digital. I know many folks in the space have certainly heard of you guys, uh, but because you guys service institutional clients, lots of folks may not know exactly what it is you guys do. Uh, talk a little bit about the services Anchorage Digital provides. Of course, so Anchorage is just over five years old. 
we uh, pride ourselves in um, being the first federally chartered crypto bank. What that means is we actually have a license, the same license as JP Morgan Chase and Goldman Sachs and lots of these banks have and under which they operate. This is a license that gets issued by the OCC and thus has supervisory oversight of the OCC, which is the oldest banking regulator in the United States. And that's the, the Office of Controller of Currency is, for people who may not know. That is correct. That's right. Office of the Control of the Currency. It's the oldest banking regulator and is actually the regulator that oversees all of these big banks that you use on a regular basis. The reason why that's important is because the scrutiny that we're subject to is the same scrutiny as the very large banks are subject to, which then increases the confidence of our clients that we're actually running a tight ship and that we're not, um, you know, commingling clients' funds uh, or really absconding clients' funds, which is obviously the topic du jour post FTX and mislabeled uh, bank accounts. And so that's, that's something that is extremely important. Um, it is the fact that we have a great regulatory stack, but we also have amazing technology. The company was started with the insight that modern digital custody cannot be reliant exclusively on this, what I lovingly call pirate custody, which is this, um, this view that custody of crypto assets should be done by hiding your crypto assets under your mattress or in a mountain somewhere in Switzerland, which if you think about it, Pirate custody, I, I talk about it because it's the same way that the pirates store their gold coins in the 1700s. You had gold coins, you put them in treasure chests, you buried them in islands, and then you really had a little treasure map to make sure that you knew how to actually recover it. And that's effectively what uh, what a lot of these uh, companies are doing. They're just, um, instead of uh, gold coins, they have little USB keys and smart cards. Instead of a treasure chest, they have a safety deposit box in the bank somewhere. And instead of a map, they have a checklist is effectively the same technology. So Anchorage was built on a technology that is not only safer than uh, cold storage uh, while keeping the assets offline, but does not require the human element and thus allows us to do active participation, staking, governance, all these other things that all these assets outside of Bitcoin do. And then obviously in the meantime, from inception, we've added not just custody services, but trading services, staking services, governance services, settlement services. So today you can really build your business on top of Anchorage. So if I had to summarize Anchorage um, in a nutshell, it really is a regulated institution that allows you to build products in a safe, easy, and regulated manner. So Diogo, let's unpack that a little bit, what those mechanisms are, what those protocols and procedures are, and how you ensure security. I think most folks know that you're one of the biggest players in this space, a huge institutional player. That makes you guys a massive honeypot. What are the risks? How do you ensure against those risks? And how do you think about the protocols, processes, and philosophy of ensuring security of such a large stash of digital assets? So the interesting thing about Anchorage is that that was the explicit purpose under which we were created. We were create, created just to serve institutions. And so that means two things. Number one, it means that the type of effort that you put on your technology solution, auditability, proof of reserves, um, external audits, uh, cryptographic guarantees, all of these just great security principles and practices you have to do are really having to meet not the bar of a retail client, but really the bar of the most sophisticated, sophisticated institutions. We have clients like Visa, we have sovereign wealth funds, we have some very large top tier banks. Those are the people that really have the sophistication to really look under the cover and understand whether this is real technology or you know just um, lipstick slapped on a pig, which is unfortunately still happens a lot in crypto and still happens a lot in um, particularly exchanges, but even other technology players that weren't really created with that goal. So think about a company 
purposefully built with the objective of serving institutions means that we are an open book for our institutions and we've gone through hundreds of, uh, of due diligence efforts that have uh, inspected deeply our technology. We've got an external audit. We obviously are under regulated uh, over oversight of OCC. So all of these things really give confidence that the things that we've built are very uniquely differentiated and are truly, truly safe. The second component is because we're not a retail service, we're actually not in the crosshairs of a lot of these hackers in a lot of these nation states that are trying to fund their terrorist operations by using crypto cryptocurrencies and really any kind of financial instrument that they can get their hands on. It's not that crypto is somehow better to a large extent is that to a, crypto might be easier to steal from some unregulated exchange or some exchange that has poor security principles. And so that actually becomes the, the prime target. And until you actually get to Anchorage, which is really at the top of the pyramid in terms of security and best practices, it only serves institutions and doesn't really have a retail presence. And you can't even as a retail consumer, Diogo can't really open an account on Anchorage to even like look at what the system is. Then all of a sudden you just, you're in a very different spectrum of risk in terms of, um, in terms of profile and high profile. And thus you also become less of a target for attackers. So you're absolutely right. As time goes on and we accumulate more assets, we become more of an attacker. But also think about security as not being a finished product. Security is not static. It is a process. It's constantly evolving. So we constantly evolve all security, also based on the number of assets under custody. Yeah, and we should point out, of course, that you have a PhD in computer science network security, and you were also the lead security person over at Square uh, for many years. So you have a long and strong background in precisely this type of technology. That's right. So in, in a way, uh, one of the ways that our investors described our background was uh, mine and Nathan's, my co-founder, was perfect founder market fit. So before starting Anchorage, um, 12 years ago, I was actually on working on something that was not very useful at the time, which was a PhD in distributed systems and security. And so I was actually publishing academic papers, working on these types of topics and quoting Hashcash and mentioning lots of the papers that the original Satoshi Nakamoto paper actually quoted. And so I was intimately familiar with this. And when, when the paper came out, I actually understood and intimately had actually referenced over half of the reference papers. And that's actually part of my passion for crypto is the fact that I've been working on distributed systems for so long. And then I had the luck of joining a company called Square um, very early on, the same week as my now co-founder, Nathan McCauley. And so we, we led the security team at Square for four years, joined as employee 40 and 41st, and uh, really worked on payment systems, hundreds of millions of dollars of gross payment volume. We, we still have the patent on the little encrypted credit card reader that I'm sure you swiped your card on in the United States, which is a really fun project. We also ended up leading uh, the team security team at Docker, so building software that is securing what is now hundreds of millions of computers in, in containers uh, and in virtual machines over, over on the internet. So if you, if you do the Venn diagram of that, of economic experience, of payments experience, and operational experience at scale in open source, then the Venn diagram really is private keys that are worth billions of dollars. So we just lucked out to have the perfect Venn diagram of a skill set. And when this opportunity came along, we just jumped, uh, jumped on it. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I know this is an easy question for you to answer in an academic context and probably a little bit more challenging in layman's terms, but what were some of the lessons that you learned, uh, both from your academic work and also your professional experience in security and distributed systems? So lots of things actually get to be learned uh, when you're developing systems themselves. And in particular, people ask me a lot, what is the secret sauce at Anchorage? And I just honestly answer, there's no secret sauce. It's just um, good security engineering principles. And people fail to realize that, yes, to a very large extent, cryptocurrency has never existed. We have never had private keys that are worth tens of billions of dollars. That is absolutely the case and it's absolutely correct. However, we have been protecting private keys for many, many, many decades. And the operational security principles that you need to run very large companies with uh, hundreds of millions, if not billions of payment cards, to, to a large extent, actually match up with the best practices that you have to do with an actual traditional company. And in fact, one of my biggest surprises is that not more crypto companies are started by security engineers like Anchorage Digital was. If you think about it, Anchorage Digital is, I believe, the only custodian that was actually founded by two security engineers, which to me at the time felt like the perfect background for people that are storing private keys of high importance. But somehow the rest of the space has not really been founded by engineers with that type of background. Definitely the exchanges were founded by folks that were you know, general web developers or came from different walks of life, or there's really in institutions here that are trying to do institutional great custody that really come from the more finance heavy New York side of the house. And that's all fine and great. These are great institutions, but it does feel at the end of the day that the DNA that permeates through these companies really needs to be the DNA of people that have been working on it for decades, not people that have kind of like looking at the challenge and in, in, in this kind of thing for the first time. Yeah, very well said. I want to bring Elaine Lee back into the conversation. I know she has some additional news stories from the day. Ash Bennington, I do. So remember that tweet from SBF Sam Bankman-Fried we showed you yesterday's show, where he basically said no thanks to a request uh, to take part in a hearing on FTX in the US Congress on December the 13th. He was responding to Maxine Waters, the Democratic chairwoman of the Financial Services Committee, and she sent up uh, a tweet to follow up on that. Fair to say, it's a little bit more forceful this time. She said, quote, Based on your role as CEO and your media interviews over the past week, it's clear to us that the information you have thus far is sufficient for testimony. She goes on to say it is imperative that you attend our hearing on the 13th and we are willing to schedule continued hearings if there is more information to be shared later. Ash, you know I love a bit of crypto banter, but even to me, it seems like such an odd place of where we are right now, especially to exchange messages between a high-ranking lawmaker and a former CEO at the center of a massive scandal. Ash, I know you are aggressively neutral, but come on, let your girl do the job for you and just react with this kind of face. What? Well, it's a little surreal, right? You don't see Jamie Dimon and James Gorman and David Solomon tweeting uh, at lawmakers, uh, especially committee chairs. Uh, it's just a it's just a bizarre situation. By the way, uh, the chairwoman makes a pretty good point when she says uh, that Sam Bankman-Fried has been doing interviews with the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Good Morning America. Uh, she makes a pretty good point that he's been speaking about this, so why not come down to Congress uh, and do some conversations under oath? Uh, we should also point out that she's the outgoing House uh, Committee on Financial Services chairperson, and obviously uh, in January that's going to flip to the other party, Elaine.
Diogo, are, are, are you tweeting at uh, at congressional representatives? Are you, uh, I mean, what do you think about this? It's pretty wild, isn't it? Well, it is pretty wild. I don't know what to think about it, except to say that Twitter is a pretty amazing tool. And this would not actually, this couldn't happen anywhere else. And so I think I, I right. take the positive view of this, of this type of, uh, of, of interaction really wasn't possible um, before Twitter was around and really wasn't possible before it actually got this type of use. So at least we get to see it. Uh, in many cases, we don't. And there's also a generational gap here where right. uh, obviously like the younger generation gets to use it a lot more and maybe a little bit too freely seems like um, in this case. And so it's, it's, it's pretty entertaining. If you were employee number 40 at Square, I'm sure you had some interesting late night conversations about exactly these topics with Jack Dorsey. Yeah, I, 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 we, we did, we did. But remember that Jack Dorsey was actually ousted out of Twitter and uh, Square was actually created as his uh, second go about it being CEO. And so when he started Square, he was not back at Twitter yet. And then he had an actual period in which he was CEO of two companies, which caused a lot of consternation out there. Um, yeah. And at some point there had to be a custody hearing between the executive teams of Twitter and the executive teams at Square to decide how many days it would get Jack on each side, which is uh, kind of hilarious to think about that that meeting had to had had to happen at some point. Uh, it's, it's just, just a hilarious thing to happen. But but there were lots of conversations. I, I do have to say that Twitter only really started permeating the conversation when Jack Ashton went back, which was actually pretty late into the Square journey. So that was, uh, I believe, uh, year six or seven that uh, Jack actually went back. And so for a large majority of the time, our focus was you know, Square almost um, or basically exclusively. Right. Uh, Elaine, what else do you have on tap for us today? Uh, let me just really translate what Ash was really trying to say, Diogo, was can you slide into Jack's DM for us and ask him for an interview on behalf of Real Vision to talk about Bitcoin? <laughs> Wait, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he has uh, he has open DMs, so you can uh, no, he doesn't. <sighs> there you go. Um, all right, that's a, a task for us to follow when we finish this show. But don't go away just yet. Another story that we've got to talk about is UK... Crypto lender Nexo um, says it will phase out its U.S. products. Now, I didn't know Nexo was a U.K. product, actually, but the company blames a lack of regulatory. I always have trouble saying that word at this time of the day. Regulatory clarity. Nexo says it has spent 18 months speaking with regulators, but reached a quote dead end. As of today, its earned program will no longer be available in eight U.S. states that it was operating in. It will eventually fully exit the U.S. market, but it has not provided a clear timeline on that. Full disclosure, Nexo is an advisor on um, advertiser on Real Vision Crypto. Um, I have to eat bread somewhere. Ash, this is yet another company thrown in the towel due to regulation or lack of it in the U.S., I think I just want to ask you, what are your views as an American? You got to talk about bread when you know I'm doing keto, Elaine. Oh, it's Lord. brutal. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think if you are out there, uh, you know, as a as a non-U.S. based company, uh, obviously this is not the time you want to be negotiating with U.S. regulators to offer expanded products here in the United States. It's uh, it's clearly a, a significant headwind right now, Elaine. Yeah, and I think that's just Nexo going to say, I don't really know what the US regulation is doing. We're going to move a little bit forward and carry on while we have a prime minister that is crypto bullish. He knows about apes, punks and monkeys or whatever we offer out there in JPEG form. But definitely more crypto friendly regulation in the UK is what I'm seeing. That's Rishi Sunak for our American viewers.
Very good. Now, just moving on to another story. There's lots to get through, as you know, but we are here to translate it and make sense of it for you at Real Vision is FTC. So more crypto companies uh, could be on the hook for false advertising. Bloomberg reports that the FTC, that's the US Federal Trade Commission, is investigating several companies. This is over allegations their advertising was misleading or deceptive. The agency didn't say which companies it's probing. Now, the Consumer Protection Agency enforces law that requires truth in advertising. Now, that includes rules that individuals disclose when they have been paid for endorsements or reviews. Ash. I think this once again goes back to the unregulated nature of crypto. What do you think? Yeah, look, I would just say FTC is a consumer protection agency. They do a lot more than uh, just truth in advertising. But this, it feels like an all-hands effort by the U.S. government to look into where some of the trouble spots might be in crypto and attempt to protect consumers. Uh, that at least would be the optimistic way of phrasing it. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to ask Diogo, uh, who deals with regulators uh, on a wide variety of different fronts, uh, what he thinks about this particular uh, moment in time and how he's experienced it over at Anchorage Digital. I think one of the things to notice is that obviously we don't do retail business, but if you see a lot of the efforts of regulators are really about consumer protection, like you said, so the um, FTC going after um, advertisement that is false advertisement is extremely important. And I think we've seen some of this uh, claimed on the cases of uh, companies like Celsius. Uh, that was one of the claims that was actually done and that was written about. And then the other side of this is that anything that touches uh, retail is going to be looked upon with um, a very, very, um, you know, big lens and magnifying lens because all of these companies lost um, millions of people's money. And so that's the focus of, re of, 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 of the institutional, um, sorry, that is the focus of the regulators and that is the primary focus of the regulators. So what we see is that we actually have way easier conversations when we talk about, hey, our clients, our institutions, they're very large institutions. In many cases, they actually have their own regulatory stack and they are regulated. And to a very large extent, we know what regulation applies to many of the things that, that are being done. Um, maybe some on, on the edges of crypto, um, that is not the case. And definitely for some of these types of products that are retail products, there are still a lot of open questions that are out there, but there is a concerted effort to make sure that we're protecting consumers, that these things don't happen again. And after the sequence of events that we've had over the past few months, that is not surprising. So what you're saying, Diogo, is it's a great time to be in a B2B business. It was always a great time to be in a B2B <laughs> business in crypto because regulators actually uh, love you to a certain extent because you are providing infrastructure, regulated infrastructure. And it's also a great time to be a regulated bank and kind of like offer yourself up for regulation when a lot of these companies have been following the more traditional tech playbook of um, ask for forgiveness, not for permission. And we very much right. have done the opposite from day one. We have asked for permission from day one and we've built the right things and we've worked for institutions. And then obviously it's still very bad for all of this to happen around us, but at least it is extremely validating of the path that we've taken. Yeah. Elaine, any more stories? Uh, Ash, I, I don't think we're moving away from this one just quite yet because, look, I've seen this uh, sort of narrative of false advertising in London, actually, when I remember back in March, they started taking down the posters in the tube uh, when they uh, mm. sort of like shill a coin, uh, so to speak. And now, you know, you can see it happening again for this 
wave. Um, okay, so Ash, no more um, stories, but I do have uh, some viewer questions. Um, but I don't think we're that... quite there yet, Elaine. I wanted to ask um, just a couple more questions of Diogo uh, before we do viewer questions here. Um, so Diogo, I, I'm curious, one of the things that we've been talking about here with FTX and which is this question of, of how the, and I know you're not an operations person, but I watched that interview with the Wall Street Journal uh, between FTX and the Wall Street Journal, and I was just gobsmacked uh, at the level of just absolute cluelessness uh, that he exhibited during that conversation. Basically, there were hundreds of millions, billions of dollars being wired into uh, Alameda, uh, those wire transfers going back and forth. I, I know you're not an operations person, but talk a little bit about what the business process looks like, what some of the uh, accounting, security uh, protocols, things like like basic like audit and understanding how wires come in and where they're going from. I mean, to me, it was just staggering to hear uh, that there's the, the, as I said, the total cluelessness on behalf of uh, Sam Bankman-Fried in that conversation. Now, I know that there, there are people who will suggest that, uh, that he had ulterior motives for maybe framing it that way, but talk a little bit about what the operations procedure looks like at a regulated institution. Yeah, so that is actually one of the major differences when, um, you know, last year talking about a SOC 2 type one or SOC two type two or SOC one type one. All of those were just acronyms that nobody really wanted to talk about that much, but extremely important because there are the validation that you're doing these things correctly and you're being audited by hopefully one of the big four firms, not obviously a firm that was uh, founded or has offices exclusively in the metaverse, uh, which is something that I've seen in the media uh, claimed um, right. uh, from the firm that was actually auditing FTX. So you, you want that type of uh, scrutiny, you want to that type of audits. And so that's part of the reason why people trust regulated institutions. And think about it as many layers of security. Uh, banks and financial institutions traditionally have many layers of security. They have not just the uh, yearly or every six months audits from the regulators. They actually have internal audit committees and internal teams auditing the companies. They have external auditors coming in. They have their finances actually audited by some of these very big firms that are putting their reputation on the line. And so this is exactly so that mistakes like this, uh, you can't possibly claim mistakes like this because they can't really happen uh, when there's so many checks and balances actually being put in place. So it is one of the primary functions of regulation is to make sure that the basic things are not going to be done wrong. Right. Yeah, and it obviously is a pretty big mistake. Um, I wanted to also ask you about something else uh, that came up in the conversation with FTX and about your views on this. One of the things that Sam Bankman-Fried said that I found uh, to be pretty striking was this idea that dollars are fungible. One dollar is equal to any other one dollar, uh, and that essentially they didn't allocate, segregate, uh, and otherwise divide client funds. How do you guys think about that uh, in your space, and what do you sort of offer in terms of uh, assurances to your clients about how their funds are protected segregated and otherwise allocated it's an extremely contrived argument i think we know as a medium of exchange that we need a currency to actually work correctly for it to be fungible so we need that characteristic but that does not mean that omnibus is the right way so omnibus just a collection and pooling everybody's money is what it means right when you have an omnibus account you're pooling everybody's money and you're hopefully keeping a correct ledger of what belongs to whom but that is not for example what we do at all for crypto and it's a very common thing that exchanges do and that is absolutely incorrect and it should be fixed. And it's one of the biggest outcomes of the FTX. We've actually been pushing for this for a long time. Exchanges should not also be the custodians of the client's access, right. assets. And these exchanges should not be commingling 
client funds. Definitely not for very large institutions where it's extremely easy to create different segregated addresses on chain that can be independently audited and make it a lot harder for you to actually abscond any funds or just hide it away. Right. So at Anchorage, it's actually extremely simple. When you deposit crypto assets at Anchorage, those things are an address that is completely segregated that you can individually inspect on chain and that we don't touch and we can't touch and you can audit and we can have proofs of um, still ownership of the uh, address and of the private key and still prove that we can uh, use it. And you can independently verify on chain that the assets are still there and that they're your assets because there's no expectation that there's going to be a pooling of clients' assets and more assets, more Bitcoin is going to be pooled. And so you're 100 Bitcoin. Uh, you don't know if it's in there or not. And so that's actually the totally opposite way that we should be going. And I think this FTX uh, debacle or debacle really shows is the fact that no commingling of client funds is extremely important and assets being segregated is very, very uh, beneficial for, for auditing. Hey, everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, you make so many good points there. One of the things that I found most interesting around the FTX debacle is, you know, we we talk about whenever we talk about crypto exchanges, I, I always want to sort of refer to it with the uh, with the air quotes because the functions that exchanges serve in crypto are not in any way analogous to what an exchange serves, for example, in in capital markets, U.S. equities, for example. Precisely as you point out, you have an exchange that serves as well. Let's see if we can get all these functions straight. So. Basically, they're an exchange, uh, they're a custodian, um, they're an investment bank, they're a broker-dealer. We found out in the case of uh, FTX that they were basically a hedge fund. Uh, they were also a VC shop, they were a, a quant trading prop shop. I mean, the, the number of things that are basically contracted and smashed into that single word exchange in crypto, uh, pretty striking for people who have capital markets backgrounds when you, when you see how all those get effectively aggregated uh, into one, and as you say, particularly, no division between custody and the exchange function. That's absolutely right. And, and look, this is part of also the, the criticism is that this is an obvious point because even in traditional financial institutions and financial tri fin traditional financial infrastructure, this works this way, like you're describing. There's a custodian that keeps your assets and then there's an actual investment manager that has your assets and both of them are reporting to you. So you have independent validity and checks on do right. I still have uh, X many shares of Square at um, at this financial institution, this is just you know basic checks and balances and right. um, segregation of uh, of principles, and it should be adopted in crypto. And it was to, to a large extent, it's been you know an unpopular view. It of course benefits Anchorage Digital, and it benefits the fact that we're institutional only and are not doing retail. But that's how we've designed the company from day one, explicitly because we knew that at some point these conflicts of interest were going to cause issues, and that's what we're seeing: conflicts of interest causing issues. Yeah, and by the way, all of this was completely unregulated and offshore in the case of uh, the FTX global entity. With that said, I also wanted to bring Elaine Lee back in for some viewer questions, Elaine. 
Ash, I'm so sorry for cutting you off earlier on because in front of me, I have notes. And when I recognize um, community members' names, I get so excited that they're so engaging in following us uh, throughout the show at this time of the day. So yes, it is time for some viewers' questions. But before Elaine, that I know you are the chief advocate for our viewers. You're constantly in the Discord. You're constantly on Twitter. And I know how excited you get. So let's jump in. Absolutely. I'm the vibe machine, Ash. So please remember to subscribe to that channel so you know when to be with us. It's really important for us here at Real Vision. So Ralph H is asking, and I think Ralph is just the one in my DMs, but I couldn't respond. So I'm glad, I think if it's the same guy, he got this question through. Um, so he's asking, can Diego discuss the consent order Anchorage entered into with the OCC earlier this year? And if any assets held by Anchorage would be eligible for FDIC coverage or private insurance non-captive? Question mark. Also, it looks like Q Anchorage, an entity I assume to be an affiliate, was bidding for a contract with the FDIC to act as a crypto asset management and solutions provider. Can you discuss that for a bit? Now remember, Diego, yeah, these are real vision, real vision visionaries. They're in deep. So go ahead if you can tackle that one. Yeah, they're, they're great questions. So I can't really uh, speak to the, the, the FDIC um, business one just because uh, as you'd expect, our clients rely on our on us for our discretion, and so it's it's really not something that I can discuss. However, the other two, let me touch upon them. Um, the the consent order really is a mechanism that the OCC has to give feedback on companies that they oversee on things that they would like to change. And so um, last year um, we got our first charter, so our license was uh, was given, and in really record time we were we constantly subject to bank exams, and then as part of the exams, the OCC gives us feedback, and that's what the consent order at, at, at effectively is. It is a document that is publicly stated. Um, it has some pretty standard language, and so you can read it on the OCC website, and it actually provides feedback on things that, that they want us to improve. So lots of those things are things that actually are pretty old uh, in the sense that they've uh, many of them are things that we've been working on for, for a long time. So the other thing that was asked was FDIC insurance. So let me point out that there's only FDIC insurance for traditional assets. There's no FDIC insurance really for crypto assets. And so Anchorage exclusively works with uh, crypto assets and not really with fiat deposits. And so we are not FDIC insured uh, because we don't need to be. We don't take on fiat. We use partners for our fiat networks. And really what we're taking is crypto. And then remember, there, the concept of FDIC really is to make sure that there's insurance for clients' deposits. However, Anchorage is a full reserve crypto bank. When you deposit crypto, crypto stays there. We do nothing with it. You can see it on chain. You can withdraw it at any time. There's no possibility of there being on a bank run on a full reserve bank that actually has all of your assets one-to-one, -one, the exact same Bitcoins that you've deposited, the exact same Ethereum that you've deposited is just there on the address, never moves, and you can remove it at any time. And so a lot of the goals of the FDIC really is to protect the fact that traditional banks are reserve, uh, fractional reserve banks and they use it for investments and to ensure that there is liquidity of the bank in the case that people want to withdraw, which is not really the case for Anchorage if you think it that way, because it's full reserve one-to-one -one back. The moment you want to withdraw, you can. Hey, quick uh, follow-up for Diogo. Uh, any talk about something, um, not FDIC, but maybe something more like CIPIC, the Securities Investor Protection Corporation, uh, which protects in the case of insolvency for broker-dealers, uh, the idea that you could have some kind of umbrella of protection to ensure that assets remain in place, or is that something that doesn't sound terribly interesting to you at this time? 
No, I think it's it's interesting. I think we need more of those. I will point out that SIPIC uh, and FDIC actually cover really small amounts of funds. And so for large institutions that have a billion dollars deposited on an actual custodian, the fact that they would recover half a million dollars, $250,000 is really not material in that sense. So I will point right. out that the orders of magnitude that we're talking about are pretty different in terms of focus. So some of those conversations don't make sense, but conversations around insurance and um, full insurance and better insurance and better insurance underwriting and the ability to make sure that we have these external entities that pay out in case something goes horribly wrong. Th those are all great conversations and things that we are a part of. We're part of many of these associations, the blockchain association, uh, many of these entities that are actually pushing forward the crypto markets, the crypto market infrastructure to make sure that we have more trust. And part of trust is obviously those mechanisms that you're describing of, um, of uh, worst case insurance. Yeah. Okay, so going on to another question, the final question, that connected one on YouTube asking, Diogo, what is your take as a security expert on the hack of Anchor? Not sure if you have any comments on this. I don't actually know a lot of details. Uh, it wasn't really a protocol that I was uh, participating in actively, so to speak, uh, or, or at all, really. And, um, and so I don't know a lot about, about this hacks. Uh, what I do know is that one of the things that is not talked about enough is the fact that there's a lot of fault of the industry and not really getting together and shipping smart contract languages and blockchains that actually support native security functions that do not exist today. The fact that we're still allowing lots of these smart contracts to be written in Solidity, the fact that we're still allowing many not robust um, bridge um, um, architectures are really just, you know, they're a black eye in the industry as a whole. We can do a lot better. We know how to do a lot better. And so it's really up to us, like push forward with, with some better standards, which haven't really been done so far. Okay, so great conversation today between the uh, two of you. But at this part of the show, we like to wrap things up with here are the key takeaways, because when you have some really big, complicated, big thoughts here on Real Vision, it is good to step away with some key takeaways to make sense of it all. So first things first, investors who come into the crypto space now will come into the space with much more scrutiny. The second thing is to note is that modern digital custody cannot rely on this pirate custody, as Diogo put it. So how would your business hold the crypto assets in a safe and regulated manner? Diogo says exchanges should not be the custodians of customer funds. This uh, the time of, quote, slapping lipstick on a pig is over. Crypto is a serious business. Let's treat it seriously. And then third, institution have been holding off. Um, DC needs to step in. So as the industry moves forward, the tech needs to move forward, right? Pick your players wisely and always press and ask the questions, where are customer funds? It is on the blockchain. So good security principles need to grow alongside with good tech and good banking systems. So security, security, security. Those are my key takeaways. Did I do okay there, Diogo? You did fantastic. Those are some uh, those are some fantastic takeaways. <laughs> Obviously, you can ask. Uh, you can add any more takeaways. Um, anything else from you or Ash? Go go go. Yeah, I think go on ahead. my side, I was just to uh, point out that um, you know it's um, it's easy to say now, but. Uh, not all regulated institutions are the same. And obviously unregulated institutions are not regulated institutions. And I know there's a lot of boring acronyms and lots of these things, the SOX and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But those things are extremely important. And they've been extremely important for market robustness for a long, long time. And they're not gonna disappear now. And so what I'm seeing now is people actually asking the hard questions from the counterparties. And I'm, I'm not seeing that going away anytime soon. 
All right. Well, thank you, Diogo. Thank you, Ash. Pleasure doing the show with let, you. Let me but jump in and give just a couple of quick takeaways of my own here, uh, Elaine. I, I think, oh, go on, go you on, know, go on. So, so, you know, I think you heard here three sort of critical topics that we're going to be talking about, uh, not just in 2023, uh, but I think for years to come. Number one, uh, as we all know, legal regulatory compliance and legislative uh, action is going to be an incredibly important topic for everyone in this space. Number two, something that we talked about today that you hear far less about in this space is operations, uh, how operations uh, are run, how audits are conducted, uh, how the processes and procedures are put in place to make sure that at least uh, in terms of the centralized component of uh, the digital asset space that we see some of the best practices that we've seen in traditional financial services uh, migrating over uh, to where uh, the crypto space is headed. And number three, such an important point, and I think one that Diogo and I agree on completely, uh, is the segregation of different services at different layers. One of the challenges with FTX, one of the reasons that was allowed to happen, uh, number one, it wasn't regulated. Uh, number two, uh, it did not have the operational procedures and protocols in place to secure it. Number three, they were just doing too much. If you think about about, uh, this uh, in terms of a protocol stack, if you're someone who works in tech, something like TCP IP, there are a series of layers that are stacked on top of each other. Uh, we learned many, many decades ago in the traditional capital market space that there were huge challenges uh, with having uh, too many functions being performed by single entities. That is something that is going to be a topic that we're going to be talking about, I believe, uh, a great deal more. And by the way, uh, the other point we should make, of course, uh, is that as we move toward more decentralized systems, some of the balance of this may change, uh, some of the mix may change, but as long as we're dealing with centralized entities, all of those things are going to be factors moving forward, Elaine. All right, lovely. Now, before we go, Chief S Community is bringing you the vibes. Let's whack up a photo that I got sent in my DMs this morning. Take a look at that. In the middle, you see a real visionary member. That's Hubert, who is also actually with MoonPay. And then that guy on the right, I think we recognize him. That's our very own Rao Pal gallivanting through the streets of Europe in France, where basically Ledger Conference is taking place right now. Look at them having so much fun. If that isn't what community is about, I don't know what is. All right, guys, so that's it for today. Don't forget to subscribe. Real Vision Crypto is absolutely free. Diogo, have you pressed the like button? I have. <laughs> so for those who are you're watching on YouTube, smash everything. Smash the like button, the bells, the whistles. Um, it will help us out big time. Join us again tomorrow. We'll dive into the metaverse with Dap Radar CEO. So that's a very fun one. And you don't want to miss that. See you at noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London time, live here. Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing.